Welcome back to the Pilots Lounge, guys. On today's episode, we are joined by Atlanta Falcons starting tight end, Hayden Hurst. Hayden shares with us his incredible story of getting drafted to the MLB out of high school, struggling with depression, addiction, and downfall, only to rise from the ashes and become a 2018 first-round draft pick to the NFL. We dive into the Hayden Hurst Family Foundation, human performance, how he's training, nutrition, all of that stuff, and more. This is an episode we hope you love. We're excited to share with you. If you've been watching the Instagram page for the podcast or the Brotalian page, you probably noticed this week that we did drop our new logo. If you want to rep the Pilots Lounge podcast, go to brotalian.com, pick up a t-shirt, buy a t-shirt between now and the end of August, and half of those profits are going to be going to the Hayden Hurst Family Foundation, which we will talk about in this episode. We want to thank our sponsor, Hilo Vodka, for being the official spirit of Brotalian and the Blue Skies Foundation. Go to shophilovodka.com, use code Blue Skies for some of that money to go back to the Blue Skies Foundation. For people 21 and older, that's shophilovodka.com, use code Blue Skies. And we do want to remind everybody to please drink responsibly. And if you need help, there are resources out there. From wherever you are listening, sit back, grab your cup of coffee, and thanks again for joining us on the Pilots Lounge. Welcome to the Pilot's Lounge, where it's all things freedom, flight, and fitness. Join your hosts, Spencer Payne, Nick Yates, Brett Kroll, and Kyle Kilroy, while we bring you aviators of all types from around the world. Hey guys, welcome back to the Pilots Lounge. On today's episode, we have Hayden Hurst, Atlanta Falcons tight end, mutual friend, huge supporter of uh, what we're doing over on the Army Aviation side. Actually, right now with us, he's rocking one of the Trident's Edge hats that they made for uh, Alpha Company 6101. With me, I've got Spencer and Lance No Handles Randalls. I think it's his first time on the podcast, so that's pretty fucking cool as well. Uh, So Hayden, welcome, man. Yeah, man. Appreciate you guys having me. Stoked to be here. As you guys know, we typically start off with uh, with some table talk questions to get the creative juices flowing, get everybody warmed up and ready to go. I think seeing uh, Spencer's face, he's already got some things in mind. So Spence, I'll let you kick it off, man. Yeah, man. Uh, first off, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to hang out with us for a little bit. Uh, it's super cool. I'm kind of, I don't even really, really know what to say. I've never been in the presence of a professional athlete before, so it's kind of fangirling a little bit. Um, that being said, I'm a diehard college football dude. Grew up in Knoxville back when Tennessee was actually decent at football. Um, so you went to USC, and that's that's South Carolina for you West Coast nerds. Um, what is your favorite USC football game and, like, the history of the program? Um, well, I mean, you can ask any South Carolina fan. They're going to tell you is the – the game in, I think it was 2010, I believe. The, the Bama game? Bama. I was actually at the game up in the seats, but um, I've never been to a college stadium, that type of atmosphere, man. I mean, it was absolutely electric. They still talk about that even when I was there, even to this day. I mean, yeah. that, that game's iconic, man. Cool. Fucking awesome. Yeah. I know that you've played, you know, you grew up playing baseball and football, um, but I know you originally went the baseball route. I'll start by asking, did you collect baseball cards growing up? I did when I was younger, actually. Um, I remember my dad actually coached Chipper Jones when he was oh, with the Bulls. And um, I collected all his cards, actually got them signed, got a hat signed by him. So that was really kind of the first one that I had. And uh, 
Yeah, a bunch of them, man. It was really cool. Yeah. Well, my follow-up question was going to be like, do you have a favorite? Uh, but I mean, I think that, you know, Tipper Jones kind of answers that question as well. You know, it's funny because you look at those and like the iconic old baseball cards that just, they, all those dudes look like there's an Instagram page that uh, Spencer shared the other day. It's like six, nine sports or something like that. Super six, nine, yeah, sports. super six, nine sports. And literally everybody on there just has the big mustache and like the old school cap. And they also remind me of like those old school baseball cards. Uh, so Hayden, you know, obviously we know where you're at right now. You're, you're currently going to be starting as the tie or one of the tight ends for the Atlanta Falcons this season. Uh, this is your second season with the Atlanta Falcons. Um, but there was several things leading up into this point, And I kind of want to dive into that and dive into your story. Um, you know, starting back from your high school days into the MLB draft into, you know, into your college years and so on and so forth. So if you don't mind kind of giving us a little bit of your background and kind of like what led you to where you are today, it'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I was growing up, like high school and everything, I always alternated seasons, baseball, football, and, um, Baseball was always super easy. I kind of just showed up and was good at it, just threw really hard. Um, but always kind of liked football more, like in the back of my mind. It was just like, didn't really think of it like I did with baseball. I was like monetary. Like I knew with baseball, I'd end up getting drafted, make a lot of money. But football was always just kind of fun. So that always kind of sat in the back of my head. But when I got to high school, I only played one year of high school football. Like not many people know that. Like the oh. whole time I was like, signed, sealed, delivered. I was going to pitch in the MLB for, you know, 15 years, whatever, make a lot of money, but got drafted in 2012 by the Pittsburgh Pirates. And my first season, I did pretty good, had some success, but ended up developing a condition called the yips, where it was just kind of like a mental disconnect from my brain to my hand. Like, dude, it was, I would sit on the foul line and like my hand would start shaking. I would be sweating. I'd almost have like full blown like panic attacks out there. And I, like, I'd be spiking the ball from like 20 feet away. And I, I spent so much money trying to figure it out, talking to doctors, therapists, you know, sports psychologists, and just never could really figure it out. And, um, unfortunately, you know, it affected me off the field too, you know, with like depression and anxiety stuff and started leaning heavy on drinking, you know, putting stuff up my nose, taking pills, like, it was pretty bad for a while, man. So I think it was 2015 after, you know, trying all this stuff. Like I was like, Hey man, I need to, I need to change my life and change what I'm doing. So decided to hang up baseball and actually not many people know this. I was talking to Seth about this the other day. Um, there was kind of like a little three week period where I left baseball. wasn't sure what I was going to do, but it was actually thinking about joining the Marines. Um, I've always felt passionate. My, my grandfather was a Marine sergeant. Um, I have friends, obviously, Logan and Seth with military ties and army ties. So kind of the thought crossed my mind, but um, decided not to. And for whatever reason, you know, reached out to a friend and walked on to South Carolina. And he really he kind of helped me get in front of the coaches and get seen. And they offered me a walk on spot and got to South Carolina. First season did pretty well, but that depression and anxiety shit was still following me, man. And I was still drinking heavily and, and, you know, doing drugs and all that stuff. And unfortunately one night in 2016, it caught up with me and, uh, I attempted, I, I cut my wrist and attempted suicide and it was tough, man. Um, it was kind of just a, a bunch of shit from my past kind of caught up with me. And, um, you know, like I said, I thought I left that stuff behind me, but that stuff never really leaves you. I think it sticks with you forever and you just find better ways to deal with it. And, uh, 
unfortunately it happened, but it's one of the best things that ever happened in my life because it, it, it helped me realize, you know, what I had in front of me. And uh, I remember just sitting in the hospital room, looking down, covered, still covered in blood, jeans from the night before. And I was like, dude, you need to figure your shit out. Or you're not going to be here much longer. Um, and I think it was January 17th of 2016. And I cold turkey, drugs, drinking, nothing since. And I poured myself into football, man. I started working out two, three times a day. I became an absolute psycho. Like that, like still to this day, you know, I work out for three and a half hours, four hours, and people think that I'm fucking crazy, but maybe I am a little bit, but I really don't care. It, it helped me kind of set my day and, and get, get where I'm going. And I always tell people, you know, they're like, man, you need to be a kid. You need to have fun. It's like, I'll tell you what, the decisions that I made after being in that hospital room have made me a lot of money and my success is just keep going up. So I don't plan on changing that shit. You know, it's helped me tremendously to get where I'm at and I'm never satisfied with where I'm at either. I'm going to keep going after it. That's incredible, man. Um, I didn't obviously know about the majority of that story. I really appreciate you opening up to us and our audience. I think, uh, you know, more often than not, there's a majority of people that are struggling with their own demons and stuff. And so it's always kind of beneficial to hear, you know, somebody that's a public figure that people look up to and everything to recognize that like, Hey, everybody goes through this kind of shit and it's okay to, to face it and uh, to talk about it a little bit. I'd like to backtrack a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, if you could talk us through a little bit of kind of what the walk-on process was, um, you know, how does that look just being a guy again, you only played one year of ball um, in high school. Like, what was it like? What made, what made you decide you wanted to go to Carolina and, and, you know, what was it like kind of walking on campus and deciding you were going to walk on? Yeah, it was an interesting process. So when I was in high school, two of my good buddies, their grandfather was a big time booster for South Carolina. And he used to always drag us to games and stuff. So I really kind of fell in love with the campus and Columbia okay. and the football team. And then when I decided to leave baseball, I reached out to a friend who actually was a walk-on quarterback, Perry Orth. And he kind of told me, you know, what college football was all about. He was like, Hey man, we don't have a lot of tight ends. You could come up here contribute early play. And I think it would be awesome for you. So I always kind of jokingly say, like, I didn't get re really recruited by Spurrier. It was Perry. They recruited me and got me up okay. there. So um, he actually talked to Junior, Spurrier Junior, and uh, I worked out with my high school football team for about two weeks. And he came down and watched practice and saw me and was like, uh, yeah, you can come walk on, absolutely. <laughs> that was kind of how I got my foot in the door. And then once I got in, man, I I was I was a psycho. I, I played every – every snap, like it was my last one that I could ever be playing. Like I felt like I had baseball just ripped away from me and I never understood why. So when I dove into football, I, I fucking dove into football. That's awesome, man. What, uh, what was it like playing for the old ball coach? Um, I mean, he's arguably one of the best college football coaches of all time. It was, can cool. you share any insight with that or <laughs> he, um, he's an interesting guy, you know, obviously yeah. he knows his X's and O's, but like, it was, it's just interesting, man. He kind of, we would, I'll, I'll tell you this during training camp and stuff, um, you know, it's supposed to be like pretty hardcore, almost like boot camp. you know, you're, right. you're 10 hour days, you're in there, film meetings, practices are hard. I remember one day we went out there, you know, he was no shirt, had no shoes on. He was out there practicing his golf swing and we <laughs> walked through for like 30 minutes. Then he goes, fellas, you know what? It's too nice out today. I'm going to go golf. He called up the day after like 45 minutes and I, we're all like, where, what world are we living in right now? And he, 
45 minutes into a walkthrough, he called up the entire day and he went and hit the links. That's, that's the old ball coach for you. So Hayden, I know you talked a little bit about, um, you know, how it was as a walk on looking at those first couple of seasons, um, you know, because you did leave to join the draft, you know, the, the NFL draft as a junior, really, let me backtrack a little bit from walking on as, you know, a freshman to that junior year, uh, when you played, how did your mindset change both in how you were training, how you were looking at the game, uh, to make that decision, like I'm going to leave college and go pursue the NFL now rather than waiting, wait, you know, another year or so. Yeah, like I said, after kind of that um, moment in uh, 2017, you know, I was pretty much all in. Like, all I did, I'd, I would wake up, I'd go work out with the team, obviously, you know, do our morning conditioning, do our lift, go to class, come back and lift, go to an afternoon class, and I would come back and lift. Like, I was 100% all into football. Um, did I think that I'd end up being a first-round pick? Not really, to be honest with you. I think I kind of just worked myself in, into that position. Uh, it really kind of, it started coming together after our bowl game my sophomore year. I remember we were in Birmingham playing South Florida, and Will Muschamp called me in before the game. It's probably like a, the night before. And he was like, I want to talk to you and, and your parents. And I'm like, okay. Like, we sat down. He goes, what do you think your plan is for next year? And I'm sitting there, I'm like, uh, come back and play football. He's like, well, we sent in your stuff to the NFL and you're like a second, second round grade. And for me to hear that, I was like, like what? Like NFL, like we're talking NFL right now. And I think that's kind of where it hit my brain. Like, holy shit. Like I could actually do this thing. And then, you know, he talks to me after the bowl game, I have a really good game. And then, you know, the preseason accolades come I'm like first team all sec, you know, and like all the all American talks and the John Mackey, you know, award list. And I was like, I had to pinch myself, man, from like where I was in 20, 2016 to where I was, you know, my junior year. It's just like, it was insane. I mean, it's been a wild ride, man. And then to get drafted 25th overall in the NFL draft is just like, it's mental. Like I, like, like I said, I still have to like step back and be like, holy shit, man. Like you went from professional baseball to maybe three weeks off straight into college football straight to getting drafted in the first round. Like it's been, it's been crazy. It's been fun. Um, I wouldn't change anything about it, man. It's been, it's been a hell of a ride. Hey, uh, so, I mean, just, just a question in terms of your mentorship and like the guys you've surrounded yourself with anytime I'm transitioning. I mean, I've got somewhat of a, a band of brothers. You could say where I'm like, I'm calling guys and getting information. It's like, who are the most influential either family members or individuals that kind of brought you under during these transition times from professional to college and, and where you're at now? Well, the, the biggest one is my dad. Like I said, he was the son of a Marine sergeant growing up, and he was always kind of up my ass, and I never really understood it uh, until I was probably 21, 22 years old. And um, he's like my best friend now. I mean, we do everything together. He gets in there and lifts with me. Um, I don't think I'd be where I'm at without his guidance today. You know, by no means was he – my best friend, you know, in middle school and high school, but he did what was necessary to get me in the position that I'm at today. And then, you know, when I was at Carolina, Will Muschamp, he was my guy, Jeff Dillman, he was a strength coach, Dave Feely, those three guys when I was at Carolina, they really, when I kind of hit rock bottom and in 16, they were the ones that kind of picked up the pieces and like laid everything out for me and be like, Hey man, if you can kind of 
get going here. This is what this this is the opportunity you're going to have in front of you. And uh, I thank those guys every day. I still talk to them all the time. Um, I love them to death, and they, they really help shape my life. And Hayden, kind of before we dive into a little bit um, of what we really also want to target being, you know, some of the human performance side and training side, nutrition side, some of that, just because you have turned into this psycho of an athlete, um, straight fucking machine, honestly. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the Hayden Hurst family foundation? You know, why you started that, what that, what your goal is with that foundation, you know, some of those, I guess, targeted goals over the next few years, what you guys have done in the past so far. Yeah, man, absolutely. So, um, the Hayden Hurst Family Foundation, we started that when I got drafted by Baltimore in uh, 2018. And I went to my mom and my dad and I said, hey, you guys are done working. Like, this is what we're going to do. You got, we're going to do this. We're going to help people. And it focuses on mental health and suicide prevention in, in adolescents. Um, we really thought that was kind of the target age because if we can give these kids tools to deal with, with shit that happens later on in life, because it's inevitable. You know, there's tragedies happen stuff happens in your life. And I know with me, we didn't really talk about it a ton when I was a kid. It just stuff happened. And then, Oh shit, you deal with it. But if you can help these kids have these tools for when stuff happens, they can revert back to them and help deal with it. I think that's huge. You know, and we're pushing this social and emotional wellness curriculum in schools. My mom's talking to South Carolina school boards, you know, Georgia school boards, Florida school boards, and we're putting in a curriculum for K through eighth graders. And it's, um, like I said, it's just tooling these kids and, and giving them, you know, stuff to help deal with stuff when it happens later on in life. Um, we've done golf tournaments here in Jacksonville, Florida. We've done golf tournaments in Baltimore. We just did our first one in Atlanta last year. And our sole mission is to raise funds to help these outpatient facilities, whether it be in Jacksonville, Baltimore, Atlanta, Columbia, South Carolina. Those are really kind of the areas that we target, you know, the places that I've kind of put my feet down and played or have lived. So, you know, whatever we need to do, you know, getting on podcasts and talking about it, getting, doing these interviews, doing these appearances, whatever I can do to help share my story. Cause it did take me a little while to feel comfortable, you know, sharing like the most intimate details of my stories. But I'll tell you what, man, I am who I am and I've been through it. And if my story can help some kid, you know, not pull the trigger and not put the knife to his wrist, like that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep telling it and hopefully, shed some light on a topic that not many people enjoy talking about. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that that, especially in our community on the military side, um, is absolutely prevalent. You know, like we kind of talked about a little bit earlier, uh, we touched on it a couple episodes ago, um, not extensively, but, you know, we kind of talked about how there's a huge shift, even on the military side, kind of refocusing people on, on mental health, uh, just from being away, being in combat situations, people who are suffering from different types of PTSD, et cetera. Um, and it's awesome to see you out there doing that with different communities, especially with where you've been. But most of all, since you can, you know, you can speak and you can impact people's lives directly because you've been there and, you know, seeing where, you know, where you were to where you are now, is pretty, uh, pretty incredible. Uh, and I think I could probably speak for, for all of us in saying that. And, uh, you know, I saw, <clears throat> I noticed on your social media, you've gone to some things like summit, you know, you spoke at summit counseling and, and you're doing things like that. And that's incredible to see. And I just want to congratulate you on all that you're doing with that foundation. It really is awesome, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. And then one thing that I didn't mention too, uh, I think it was May 22nd, well up in Atlanta, we did um, this thing with Top Dog Canine Foundation. And it's this foundation who they help train dog therapy dogs for veterans. And we did a 2.2 mile walk 
you know, I brought my dogs up there. We did it. And um, I think that's something we're starting to transition towards, too, because, you know, obviously with my family and the friends that I have, the military and the military support is huge for us. Um, any way that we can help give back, you know, I, I think that it's, um, it's a topic that needs more attention. Um, in any way that we can help that Hayden Hurst Family Foundation support the military, we're going to do it. It's um, very near and dear to our hearts. We feel very passionate about that. That's awesome, man. I do really appreciate you, you know, kind of sharing your story. And I, I did, I did want to talk a little bit about your foundation because I think it's hard to talk about where you're, you know, where you were and what you're doing without also talking about how you're giving back, you know, to the community in those ways. Um, so kind of shifting gears here a little bit, talking a little bit more on the human performance side, because I know we've touched it. And, you know, the first thing that everybody thinks of when they hear professional athlete is, you know, that person's really fucking in shape. That's an, that's, they're an athlete. You know, we train to be athletes. Some people train to be aesthetic, whatever. I would say the majority of us and the majority of our listeners are training to be athletic. And then, you know, obviously aesthetics or whatever else, you know, come along with that. What I'm kind of curious about is especially being, I don't remember whatever round draft pick, but going to the MLB out of high school compared to being a draft pick out of college, what did you see those differences were just an athletic capability? Because obviously if you look at human development, especially in males, when you're coming out of high school, you are not nearly as developed just in general, physically as you are, you know, as a 25, 26 year old or, you know, 24 year old, whatever you were coming out of college, what kind of differences did you see just in your own performance uh, between those two drafts in your first season, uh, both first seasons of, you know, professional athletics? Oof. Uh, me as an 18-year-old versus me as a 23-year-old getting drafted, 24-year-old, night and day. Um, I always tell people if I would have gone straight to college and tried to play football at 18, I'd be like selling tires or something right now, dude. Like I, I was – my mind frame then versus now, polar opposites. You know, I, I didn't have my priorities in line. I was partying, drinking, doing drugs, all sorts of stuff, worried about the wrong shit when I was 18. Um, didn't have much of a work ethic whatsoever. And I think it unfortunately took me hitting rock bottom to develop that and be like, hey, you can actually make something of your life. You were given this athletic ability by God, like figure it out, man. Like just start working hard. And, and it, it gets contagious. You know, you start working out, you, you notice a little bit of a difference. You can see a little bit of a difference. You feel better. And it just, you get addicted to it. I think that was kind of like, my drug of choice was working out and, and, and dieting and, and doing all this stuff and just seeing that my body completely change over the course of six years. Because, um, I, I mean, when I got with the Pirates, man, I was like 18, 20% body fat. I was like boozing all the time. I was, I was fat. I was gross. And then I got into college and I got addicted to actually eating right and, you know, putting the bottle down. And you start to see those differences in the mirror and you're like, oh, man, like, if I keep doing this, you know, what potentially could I look like? And then obviously it helps on the field too, you know, with the working out and everything, but it gets addicting. It really does. <clears throat> so in terms of the actual training methods that you guys are using, I know um, different, different types of athletes are doing, you know, different types of training uh, per se. Are you guys tend to focusing more you know, on the big three being, you know, squat, bench, deadlift, are you guys kind of, I know you mentioned that a lot of mornings you'll get up there and you'll go run or you'll go ride a bike, uh, something of that nature. What do you guys find yourselves gravitating towards um, kind of in those training methods and uh, performance measurements? 
for me, I'm kind of, I'm more centered around volume. I do. I hit the majors, you know, bench squat, deadlift, clean, stuff like that. Um, not a ton of guys in the NFL do that. You know, it's teach their own. A lot of guys in the NFL, they'll do more of like speed stuff, agility stuff. Like I obviously mix that stuff in too, but I also know that a 20 week NFL season, what that entails and your body starts breaking down. So for me, I think if I add volume now, kind of put my body through hell at the moment and I build myself up, I think when you get towards the end of the season and guys are kind of coming down, I'm still going to be here. My body's still going to feel a little bit better. That's me personally. I know a lot of guys don't do that, but I had a lot of success in college with that lifting program, and I love to carry it over because it just makes me feel prepared. It makes my body feel strong. Because um, like I said, man, 20 weeks in the NFL is a bitch, and uh, <laughs> I just want to do whatever I can to not feel terrible towards the end of the year. Have you learned anything? I mean, obviously, in terms of what, what you were taught when you were – you know, high school, college that you found to be kind of fundamentally wrong in the way you were training? Like, have you been exposed to certain techniques just that are, are available at your level of performance that maybe kind of the average individual working out the gym and you're just like, hey, this is information that I've been exposed to, but may not be kind of common for, for most individuals? I think that's kind of circumstantial. Um, the stuff that I've kind of realized, and this isn't coming from a place of arrogance, but Coaches aren't always right. Um, you know, they're people just like the athletes are. You know, they don't always have everything figured out. They've been taught a certain way. And like you said, that's not necessarily always right. You kind of have to pick different ideologies from different coaches and see what works for you. And that's kind of what I've learned at 27 versus what I didn't know at 18. You know, 18, I'm like, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, whatever, whatever it is, I'll do it. But you, when the older you get, you know, you learn your body, you learn what works for you, and you kind of pick different things from different coaches and you establish a program that works for you. And I think that's kind of where I'm at now. You know, I, there's stuff from my college coach that I, I still I do. Um, there's stuff from my high school that I still do. Like you pick little bits and pieces, and then all of a sudden when you're older in 27, 28, whatever it may be, you learn what works for you. So can you run us I through like a – a mock workout. I know you mentioned you sometimes in the gym at like three to four hours a day. Is that consecutive? Is that throughout the day? Like what is a, what does a day in the life of Hayden Hurst look like as far as getting after it, um, in and around the gym? Oh shit. So for me, <laughs> um, I'm normally in my weight room by like 9am and, um, we start, you know, I'll, t I'll take you through kind of an upper and a lower day. So upper days for me, I start with I'm not a big straight bar bench guy just because in a football field, you're never really like that. And if you are, you're fucked. So I use what's called a football bar bench, which keeps my hands like that, which is obviously, you know, blocking for a tight end is crucial. But like I said, I'm big on volume. So I start at 155, take it all the way up to whatever my max may be. And I kind of hit sets of like 12. So until I start tapering off and I can't hit 12s anymore, then I'll stop. And then what me and my strength coach have kind of come up with, or he came up with, it's called the 350 method. So after I do, you know, my sets of 12, he picks a weight that he thinks is good for me. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's like, it's almost like a rubber band. You put it on your arms and it goes across your chest. And it just kind of helps you get that couple inches off your chest. So you don't get stuck. It just helps with higher reps. But what I'll do, like today, I did 275 with the 350 method. And that is three sets to get 50 reps. Whatever, it, however you add it up, you got three sets to get there. So <clears throat> first set, if you don't get 20, it's a bitch. So you got to get 20 on the first one, and then you can <laughs> after that. 
But today it kind of jumped on my back. That was tough. So that's kind of the first half of my lift. Then I'll hit um, shrugs, low rows, um, dumbbell rows. And there's another one. I think it's high pulls. So I kind of hammer my back out four by 12s. And that's kind of on me, really at my pace. And then after that, I'll do dips, which is, again, 350. You know, if you don't get 20 on the first one, it becomes pretty tough. And I'll put, like, a 100-pound plate on, try to bang out 20, try to bang out 15, try to bang out 15. Um, after that, I do curls. So I go one, one, ones all the way to 10, do three sets of that. Tricep extensions, three by 10. Um, and then we finish with what he's kind of come up with, his, like, clean combos. So the first set is five cleans, five jerks, then you put it all together for five. Then you can kind of take like a minute break. And then you go five front squats consecutive. Then you go five jerks. And then you put it all together, five front squat and jerks. Then the last set you do is you do five front squat, jerk, put it over your head, squat it, jerk it. That's one. You do five of those. So essentially it's 55 reps in like 10 minutes. Okay. And I'll do 225 on that. And by the end of that, I'm pretty much gassed. <laughs> So that's an upper lift for me. That's what I just did today. I'm gassed just listening to you run Bro, through. I would have been um, fucking gassed after like the <laughs> third or fourth exercise. Is, uh, Holy shit. It's, it's really intriguing to me too because I, I very much enjoy the volume type stuff too and and kind of my mind, and obviously we kind of talked about with Lance a little bit, but in my mind I'm always like, oh, like, you know, football players, all these guys, like they're just in there doing like squats and cleans and stuff all day and they don't really get to train any of like the, the volume type stuff. So that's really cool to hear you kind of run through that. Um, what does the rest cycle look like for that uh, in between sets? Are you taking a specified amount of rest? Or are you just kind of going with what you feel before you jump into the next one? What's that look like for you? For me, it's really just a feel thing. Like, yeah. I, I try not to obviously, you know, bullshit too much and, and just like hang out in there. But mm -hmm. it's hard to go back to back to back, you know, when you're doing high volume and high weight like that. So it's really just off of how I feel. Okay. So that's kind of why it takes about three hours. But I love it, man. I get in there and I grind and I'll take a break. Like I said, it took me three hours and I hopped on with y'all. I'll take a break and I'll go do kind of my, my uh, field stuff and conditioning stuff after this. Okay. And then, um, so if you're doing upper, upper, lower, are you alternating each day? Do you take a specific, uh, 24 hour period of rest? Or are you just getting in after like seven days a week? Like what is, what is the rest and recovery protocol? So I go uh, Monday through Friday and I'll okay. kind of I'll alternate. So this week was, lower upper lower upper and then Got it. next week i'll switch to upper lower upper lower so i just kind of go off of that it's really a feel thing you know if i walk in there and i feel good we get after it he draws up some sick stuff and i love it you know and i tell him i get through like the first set and i'm kind of not feeling it you know we'll back off a little bit but i'll tell you what there haven't been many days where i'm not feeling it i get in there and i try to run it up as high as i can Awesome, dude. Uh, obviously, you're a massive individual. What does the uh, the food protocol look like? I mean, three-hour, four-hour workouts, you got to be crushing some calories. Um, are you one of those dudes that's, like, consistently eating throughout the day, or do you eat, like, a ton of food at one time? Like, what does that look like for you? So the eating stuff I've finally kind of pieced together this year. I haven't really been – that's kind of been the missing piece of my workout regimen. Um, okay hard for me really to get an appetite is that my body temp gets so hot and stuff and it's hard for me to really get hungry and eat but i kind of force myself um not a huge breakfast guy i'll try to mix in a shake before a lift um after i finish a lift 
the nutritionist for the Falcons actually put me on this meal prep program. So they send me stuff to my door, um, calorie based, protein based. Um, he kind of mixes and matches it. I'll send him my workouts and he, he knows kind of what I'm doing and he'll see if he needs to add more protein to it, more carbs. So he really helps me out on that end. And that's been huge. Like I said, I think I'm like, when I went up there for OTAs and everything, I was like 9.2% body fat. And I know for a fact I'm lower than that because I've just kept working out and everything. So getting on an actual meal program like that has been just huge for me. You know, my body feels so much better. I don't feel, you know, last year when Stetson was living here with me, I was eating like five guys and bonos and barbecue and shit like that. So I kind of figured it out and pieced that part together. But, um, I think that's crucial. You know, it helps you obviously recover better, sleep better, wake up feeling ready to go. So kind of actually something, you know, you kind of walked us through what one of those days looks like. I'm curious because you did mention you've been working with the same coach for, for several years now, um, from season to season, or even, you know, as a season progresses, if he, or if you kind of recognize that you're not weak per se, but that you need to focus more on certain areas, uh, whether that's based on whatever performance measurements they have on the team side or the NFL side or whatever, ha- have you found that you guys kind of modify what it is that you're doing to focus more on those weak areas over time? hundred percent. It's actually a really good question because when I went up for OTAs, we had February, March, and April, we really focused more on like cardio and like quick sets. So we had time sets versus, you know, three hour lifts. And it was kind of a change up in our program because we've always done high volume. So we tested it out. I went to OTAs and I kind of noticed like my VMO, my cap and stuff like that didn't feel as like explosive. Uh, I felt like it was kind of getting tighter than usual. I didn't feel, I feel my best when I feel my my muscles are super dense with the volume and everything. That's where I feel like I don't have any soft tissue stuff, anything like that. So I was kind of communicating with him. Hey, this feels sore today. Hey, this doesn't feel explosive. So he kind of came back to the volume stuff. He goes, okay, well then we need to make your muscles more dense. You know, we need to get after it. We need to make sure everything is solid around it. So you don't have those soft tissue stuff. Um, like I said, he has been affiliated with the United States Olympic team. He was the defensive coordinator for this high school team that I played for Went won 11 state championships. He's produced tons of NFL talent, tons of D one talent. Like the guy knows what he's doing. Um, and he's awesome. My dad's known him for like 40 plus years and he's not a big, he's not a big like rah, rah screamer guy. He doesn't get in there and like yell at me and like slap my back and shit like that. He's more of just matter of fact. He's like, this is what we got today. This is how many reps, this is how many sets, get it done. And that, that to me, that's how you get through to me. I'm, I'm ne- I've never been a guy who listens to the rah, rah stuff that doesn't, that pisses me off. So he gets in there very matter of fact, Hey, get it done. However you got to do it. Let's go. Something that you mentioned is you go to OTA, which actually, what does OTA stand for? Organized team activities. Okay. Organized team activities. I know you had kind of said it a couple of times and I, I'm probably the only one who doesn't know what that means. Either group of guys here, but, um, so you go do that. Something I'm kind of curious about when they're running your, you know, performance measurements annually, however they do it, what are those typically consisting of? Are they the same thing as like the combine? typically or how are they how is the team analyzing your performance off the field or in preseason or any of that um or are they really just kind of waiting and seeing what stats you're putting out during the season so it's really i guess they kind of eyeball it um they do have these like tracking devices on our pads and stuff that will tell you like 
you know, if this guy's straining this much or like his volume is this high, like you kind of need to back him off. So I guess that's kind of one way they gauge it. Um, but honestly, like NFL practices, they really just kind of put you in it. And, and if you can get it done, okay, you're up to the level and their standard. If you're kind of struggling and, and it's really kicking your ass, they'll kind of pull you aside and be like, Hey, let's get this thing rolling. Like, obviously you need to pick it up a little bit. You need to get it going. But I think the good thing with like our coaching staff is they have a baseline conditioning test for when we come back. So it's like, they will definitely know who's been messing around, who's been screwing around, going off on all these beach trips and stuff and who's actually been working. So I think that's one way to gauge it. Um, the other thing too, like, dude, if you're a professional athlete and you're not working out right now and you're going to wait until training camp, you're an idiot. Okay. Like you, you, you're a professional, you have a job to do, you need to do it in the off season. I think some guys do it, some guys don't for whatever reason. Uh, they make their August a living hell and that ends up being on them. Hey, along with that, I mean, you're, you're in an environment where everyone is athletically just above, you know, the, the top 1%. And so I, I'm, I'm kind of curious what you see value in the mental performance. I understand the, that the NFL has sports psychologists assigned to you guys. And there's a lot of focus on awareness and mindfulness mm -hmm. and in a game where the smallest kind of mental lapse can create mistakes and catastrophic results of that high paced impact sport, you know, there's gotta be a mental performance side of this. So, and especially with your background, I want to see what you, what you value and maybe techniques that you use for that. Yeah. I know there's a lot of different tricks that guys use. Um, a lot of guys meditate, um, the thing with football, I think that kind of takes care of the mental aspect is just being prepared, you know, knowing the playbook, knowing the plays, not going out there and hearing a play call from the quarterback and being like, uh, I think that's kind of where guys screw up is when they don't know the playbook, they kind of just try to like freestyle. But with me, I know baseball was a super mental game for me. Obviously football has mental aspects to it too, but it's more just, I feel so much more prepared and I don't even get anxious with football just because I know like I'm in the playbook. I know my off season regimen is harder than anybody else's. Like I'm fully prepared when I step foot on that football field. Um, one big thing for me is visualization. Um, I see myself making plays. I play that over in my head over and over. I do that before games. Um, in baseball, it was funny. It used to be like the exact opposite. I'd like picture what I was going to do wrong. And it's like, your mind is so powerful. And if you can control it and get on top of stuff like that and just speak stuff into existence, like I'm going to make this catch, I'm going to make this block. I'm going to destroy this guy. Like you just speak stuff into existence. And I think me mentally, that's where I've gotten where I wasn't when I was younger. You know, you, you hear that little voice in the back of your head going, Oh, you can't do that. You can't finish that rep. You can't do that. Bullshit. That's not me anymore. I, I know that I outwork people. I know that I'm crazier than people. And I know that's going to, you know, correlate to a football field. Oh, that's awesome, man. I know we do a lot of, we call it chair flying, right? It's the same visualization process where it's like, hey, go through it. You're sitting in the cockpit. You're taking off. You're going through it. I mean, just basic principles where you can see yeah. yourself and then gauge different situations. So extremely helpful. It's cool to know that that just that carries across platforms. Yeah, I, visualization for me is huge. I'm a big big believer in speaking stuff and seeing stuff in, into existence. I, I, that has helped my career tremendously over the years. You know, it's like at first, you know, you may not believe it, but if you can see it happening in your brain and you can just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it and talk yourself through it, you know, that's, that's where I've kind of taken off in my career.
So kind of on that same note, um, on the mental health aspect, you kind of spoke earlier about uh, with the Hayden Hurst Family Foundation, some of those tools that you are instilling um, into those K through eight age groups. Have you found yourself being able to help any of your peers uh, utilize those same tools who maybe are going through those same things uh, that you did, you know, several years ago? Because I know in the military, it's often that it's not, you know, it's not the random person at a distance. It might be that guy that you're seeing right next to you at work every day who needs that help. Have you found yourself able to kind of help, you know, those closest to you with those same tools that you're trying to provide the youth? Oh, absolutely. Um, a lot of, I won't, I won't like use their names or anything, but a lot of guys like my baseball buddies or guys in the NFL who are kind of going through struggles that I went through when I was younger. I have the perspective that I can kind of give to them now. It's like, I don't know when I, when I was in that hospital room, man, and I was like, literally at rock bottom, there's nothing that life is going to throw at me. That's going to be as hard as those moments were. And that's what I try to, I try to help people kind of understand that is like, dude, so what you dropped a pass, like, so what you missed the block, like in the grand scheme of things that is so minuscule. Like, and I try to just give them that perspective. And like I said, you know, speaking stuff into existence, visualize it. Like it sounds so simple, but like even my worst days with baseball, man, I would sit there and tell myself, you're a freak. You're an athletic freak. You're a monster. And it's like, I was, I was pretty bad in professional baseball. I'll be pretty blunt. Like I didn't have much success at all, but physically, you know, you say that those little things in your head and you start believing it, you start, you're like, hell yeah. Like I'm a freak. Like I'm bigger than these guys. I am stronger than these guys. I, you start believing it. You can almost like feel yourself lifting up. And it's like, as shitty as I was with baseball, I got in the weight room and I lifted and I became a freak. And I was like, you know what? Well, baseball's not working. I'm going to go make football work. You know, that I think that's how I'm wired. I think that's going to where I'm going to find success. I can go hit people. I can go be stronger than people. When I get pissed off, you know, I try to throw it harder and it goes even further away. But in, in football, man, you get pissed off you can go crush somebody. And it's like, for me, like, like I was telling you, man, like that visualization and that manifesting stuff, I think is so huge. Even when you're at your lowest and you don't really believe it, you just have to almost trick your mind into thinking it. You just keep saying it, keep saying it, keep saying it out. And over time, it's kind of, it's weird. You start believing it and you start, you can almost feel your chest kind of fill up a little bit. You get more confident and you kind of get that ball rolling. Oh yeah, man. Fake it till you make it right. Absolutely. Kind of. Well, I mean, Spencer's over here laughing, but it's true. You know, I, some, I've heard that over and over again. Sometimes, um, sometimes that's what you have to do. And, and we have the same thing kind of in aviation, exactly what you're saying right now, you know, and, uh, Lance kind of hinted at it. You know, you'll get guys who even on our end, you might do poorly on a check ride, or you might have a really bad flight or, um, you know, as you progress in your career, you might've made a decision as a pilot in command, that you look back on, you're like, man, I really could have gotten people hurt. And that, that does affect you. It looks at, you know, you look back on it and you know, you kind of replay those over in your head and there's two ways that those kind of go, um, not just in our community, but in any community, you kind of hinted at it. That as well is that you can let that affect you to the point where you can have continued failure or can, you can utilize that to not make that same fucking mistake again. Right. So I, I really think that's awesome. Kind of, you know, once again, what Lance said that it doesn't matter whether, you know, you're flying an aircraft, uh, in the military or you're a professional athlete. So many of those same principles of resilience kind of carry over and are there no matter what. And they kind of apply across the board. Um, 
you know, something that you kind of talked about a little bit as well, as you were coming back in, you know, fitness became your mental outlet. Um, do you ever find that? And, and I only say this, um, I, I raced bikes for years and I found that with me initially, when I first started racing, um, you know, I'd go out and you might have a five to six hour training block where you're going out on Saturday, putting in, you know, 110, 100, you know, 100, 110 mile ride with your teammates. And over time, uh, you know, over the first, I'd say five to eight years for me, I, I loved getting out. I would go out and I saw so much of the U S out on the roads and it was a mental break for me. And it's exactly what you were saying. Like it disconnected me from everything else other than that. But then I found as I moved up because it, it really became work and a lot of that fun started to get taken out of it for me, because I found when I was on the bike, it was no longer uh, a mental reset because I was looking specifically like in cycling, you're ever, you're measuring everything based off power output. It's all off wattage, right? So for me, I'm just sitting here looking at a computer the entire time. I'm not looking around me anymore. I'm not finding that same level of enjoyment. You know, what do you do to keep your mind on other, other things? Cause I know my failure in that was that that's all I, I, you know, I slept ate, I, I did everything oriented around that. And I never gave myself anything outside of that, which is, I think why it got to that point. What do you do outside of just, you know, working out, eating, sleeping to, to keep your mental health in check and to not make that work for you? For me, like obviously working out and everything is kind of like my MO. I love that stuff, but <clears throat> I do a really good job of kind of disconnecting from that and like the football side of stuff and really just being a person and just being a human. Like I've got two dogs. I call them my therapy dogs. I've got two and a half acres back here. Like that also like in accordance with working out is really like my mental health. Like I can get away from that, forget about Hayden Hurst, the football player and all that other shit. And I can just be a normal person. I think that's been huge for me. Um, my family is obviously huge. We can go, you know, down to our lake house anytime we, I, I grew up on the water down here in Florida. So anytime we can disconnect from, you know, the football shit, the traveling, all that stuff, the working out and go be just an actual family is huge for my mental health. I, I we've become so close over the years, um, you know, with everything that's happened in my family and my, my own experiences with, you know, depression and, and a suicide attempt. Um, you kind of get lost in that, you know, working and, you know, trying to achieve all these goals and, you know, just constant, the constant hustle, hustle. Um, I think it's huge to be able to disconnect from that stuff and just be a normal person. Um, having goals and all that stuff, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's awesome. I have, like I said, when I get up in the morning working out, I have all these certain goals, but I also know like <clears throat> I can't make that a 12 hour thing or else I'll drive myself absolutely insane. You know, so there has to be a point where you can kind of turn it off with the switch and disconnect from that stuff for a little while and whatever it may be, you got to find hobbies, stuff that kind of gets your mind off of it. Call of duty, video games where I can just BS with these Seth and Logan and these losers online for a little bit. Like it's fun, man. Like, um, but yeah, man, stuff like that is like, you gotta be a normal person. Like there's nothing wrong with, you know, getting after it and grinding, but you gotta be able to disconnect and, and kind of put all that other stuff away for a little while. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that actually this past year, specifically with Call of Duty, um, I, you know, 
Twitch is a huge streaming platform. Um, it's actually one that I've looked into for us on the podcast, being able to record live stream, you know, do whatever for, uh, for our episodes. But something I noticed this past year, specifically in 2020 was the number of professional athletes that had turned and utilized that as a way during isolation to maintain, you know, because you're, you're literally living a lifestyle, uh, not you specifically, but if you're living that lifestyle of constantly being with other people or, you know, engaging with other people or, you know, being around that, uh, I, I think it gave them a way to still communicate, you know, with the public and, and be out there doing something and maintain that, but also disconnect from the professional athletic side and, and show that they are human. You know, you, I, I saw that with quite a few professional athletes, you know, playing whatever games, um, you know, kind of, you, you did mention a little bit about not being so focused on specific goals or being able to kind of set those goals aside or have them in the back of your head. Uh, with that, I want to ask a question directly on your goals uh, and that, you know, where do you see yourself over, you know, the next three to five years, whether that's professional athletics or with the Hayden Hurst Family Foundation, you know, where do you kind of see your life and your career in this trajectory progressing to? As far as on the field stuff, man, I, my goal is to be the best. You know, I obviously I'm behind the eight ball a little bit. You know, I, did, I haven't played as much football as some of these other guys, um, but I think that's also to my benefit too. You know, I, I don't have the miles on my legs and my knees and stuff like that. So I'm still learning, uh, still getting better, still getting stronger every single day. But, you know, I think you're crazy if your goal isn't to be the best. You know, and that's what I'm going to chase until – my knees can't get me there anymore. Um, I want to get as strong as I possibly can. Um, I don't really, I don't focus on numbers like yards and touchdowns and stuff like that. I think that's just like a byproduct of your hard work. That stuff just kind of happens. Um, but I want to be the best. Uh, I'm going to go out there this season and I want to be a top five, top three tight end. Like that's my goal. I think, you're, like I said, you're, if you're in the NFL and you're a pro athlete and your goal isn't to be the best then what the hell are you doing it for? Um, off the field, I just want to keep doing what we're doing, man. I think last year, the platform that the Falcons gave us when they released my video and kind of told my family story and my, my story, it, it, it took completely took off. So if it keeps going up and kind of trajecting the way that it has been, um, we're reaching a ton of people. We're going to reach a lot more people all across the world, all across the globe. I mean, so many people have reached out after that thing kind of went viral last year. Um, saying that my story kind of hit home with them in this way. And then, you know, their brother went through this, they personally went through this and they just picked pieces of my story that they can kind of relate to. And I actually had one kid after the video came out last year from Buffalo. He, you know, sent me a long paragraph on Instagram, like, Hey man, this meant so much to me. It hit me in this way. Um, I just wanted to let you know for whatever it's worth, I decided not to pull the trigger today. And I'm like, just it's incredible. Like I don't ever look at myself in that way where I'm like this pro athlete and I'm up here and other people are down here. Like I'm just hating, like I, the stuff that I do, like obviously just kind of, it's, it's great. Like the platform that the NFL gives me is incredible, but I don't really look at myself in that way. But when people reach out and they say that my story impacts them in that way, it's just like, it's truly humbling, man. Like that's why I do it. It's not necessarily easy getting up there and sharing, you know, these details about my life and my story and the stuff that I've done. But when people reach out and they kind of say stuff like that, that is what makes it worth it for me, man. Yeah. I, I would just, I'm, I'm curious, is there any bad advice that you get in your area of expertise? Just general, like you hear 
and you're like, that's not a good idea. You've learned that, hey, that's I shouldn't do that. It doesn't work for me or it doesn't work for someone else. Uh, 100%. Like I said earlier in, in, in the show, like, there's – coaches aren't always right. Like, yeah, like, they've learned a certain way of how to do it, but there's not a cookie-cutter way to do stuff. Like, and I heard this this saying back in the day is, like, swing your swing. Do your thing, man. Like, everybody has their own way of doing stuff. Like, you have to be able to, as a coach, to see that and coach that way. Like, you can't just sit there and be like, hey, this is the way to do it. If you don't do it this way, you're out. Like, that's not how it works. Like, everybody, every athlete, every person in their profession does things differently. I think that's what makes this world beautiful. Like, everybody has a different way of thinking, has a different way of processing stuff. And you have to be able to adapt to that. And I think a lot of stuff that's, like, old-school mentality is like, hey, this is the way we're going to do it. This is the only way it's ever been done. It's like, that's bullshit. Like, you have to be able to adapt to people and see, like, how they process things and how it hits their brain, and then you kind of guide them in that direction. That's, and along with that same idea, you know, what what in the past, I guess, couple of years, you mentioned earlier that you've been better at saying no to, like, just things that you know for yourself that you've got to eliminate to stay focused and be in your goals and do what you need to do. Yeah, I think, like, my first two years in the NFL, like, obviously – you get to the NFL and you're like, okay, well, I have to be a yes man. Like I have to please everybody. I have to do it this way. It's their way or the highway. And it's like, to an extent, yeah, like obviously you don't want to be an insubordinate. You don't want to be like not listen to your coaches and, and shit like that. But you, the older you get and the more comfortable you get with yourself and how you do things, you find what works for you. And I think year four in the NFL for me, like I take things – that apply to me and the other stuff in one ear and out the other. Like, and that's not me being arrogant or being an asshole or anything like that. It's just like, you have to find what works for you because at the end of the day, I'm the one on the field. They're on the sideline. You know what I mean? Like, and that doesn't come from a place of arrogance or anything like that, but it's like, I know what I need to do to get the job done. So I'll take whatever information he gives me and whatever hits home and works, I'll use it. But the other stuff, I don't, I don't need to hear all of it. So Hayden, we typically, something we typically ask most of, if not all of our guests, you know, would historically be, oh, you know, what advice would you give to somebody who wants to pursue aviation, obviously, in, in your case? Uh, that would actually be a really funny question to ask you because you'd be like, I don't fucking know. But, um, you know, more so I want to ask um, for somebody that's coming out of whatever difficult time in their life. Uh, whatever that may be, whether that's, you know, dealing with addiction, depression, anxiety, uh, trying to get back to a peak level and get their life back on track, what would your advice be to them? Words that I live by to this day, man, I know it probably sounds cliche, but take it a day at a time. Like, I don't look too far in the future. I don't look too far in the past. I literally try to be where my feet are. Like, it that's the only way to live. Like if you're looking too far ahead, you're not focused on the stuff that's in front of you. You know, your, your anxiety goes up. You're worrying about this. You're worrying about that. It's like, if you can be present with what you're doing and take this thing a day at a time, like it's a process, obviously you can know, coming out of whatever it may be, depression, addiction issues, stuff like that. But if you can take it a day at a time and just make it from Monday to Tuesday, Tuesday to Wednesday, like that's how I got out of it. Obviously I had a lot of help from, you know, therapists and my family and things like that. But I, I got tunnel vision and it's just like, 
okay, what do I need to do to get from this day of the week to Tuesday to Wednesday to Thursday? It's like, it's an ongoing process. Um, still to this day, like I have good days. I have bad days. I have more good days than bad days just because I've found ways to deal with stuff. But my advice is live in the present, man, hour to hour, day to day, just be where you are and don't look too far ahead. Absolutely, man. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you taking the time to come and hang out with us today on the podcast. I know, uh, it was a little weird in the scheduling, but you know, this is absolutely incredible and honestly was, um, very vastly different. I wasn't really sure what to expect when bringing you on. I was like, ah, you know, we've never had a, a football player, a professional athlete or anybody outside of a pilot come on, but this is exactly kind of what we wanted to get at with something different, um, and have you on because I know you are incredibly supportive of what we're doing. You're incredibly supportive of the military and, and military families, and you're getting after helping, you know, people with, uh, mental health issues. And that's not just in those youth, you know, your programs are carrying over, uh, into the veteran population. And we do appreciate that as well. Um, before we sign off Spence, uh, Lance, do you guys have anything? No, I just, Hey, I just want to thank you for taking time out of your day to hang out with us, man. Um, it's really fucking cool to hang out with a guy like you that has so much humility and self-awareness. Um, it's cool to just be able to like have a conversation and vibe with somebody that I can be like rooting on TV here in a couple months or whatever. And to see that you're just a normal person with normal struggles that just likes to fucking get after it. And, uh, you know, kind of has the same itch as the rest of us with getting in the weight room and stuff. Um, I really appreciate you sharing our story with us and for our listeners. Um, and I wish you the best of luck this season, man. Uh, I guess I'm an, I'm an Atlanta Falcon fan now, so let's yeah. fucking let's go win a bowl, baby. What's <laughs> up, <laughs> brother? Yeah, I would just I would just echo that. It's not often that, especially our community, gets to look into you know kind of the life of a professional athlete and and really see like you were saying we're all we're all just kind of figure trying to figure it out, take it a day at a time, and it it creates that that community among, you know, multiple entities. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a personal thing now. And it's like Spence said, it's someone I'm like, Hey, I know that guy, you know, and it's, it's yeah. cool. So I really appreciate your time. Great feedback, amazing story. And, and like you said, the, the individuals that you impact, the ones you don't even know about, it'll just continue and not to mention our audience as well. So really appreciate your time. Thanks, Hayden. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. I appreciate you guys having me on, man. This was like you said, I didn't really know what to expect. I've done all sorts of, you know, like the other interviews and stuff like that. But, you know, I told Seth and I told Logan, like what y'all do, man, I have so much respect for it. Like I said, I, I thought about doing it, but you know, I, I didn't do it and maybe have some, you know, some regrets in the back of my mind, but you know, I, I couldn't imagine doing what you guys do. I have so much respect for it. Um, what you guys do is truly incredible. It allows me to play a game for a living um it's just incredible uh, I, I will support you guys in any way shape or form going forward love what you guys represent love this country and you know, i'll just love what you guys do man absolutely man thank you so much and for our listeners who want to check hayden out he's hayden r hearst on uh instagram so at hayden r hearst and if you want to get involved in his foundation or at least get more information about uh, his foundation. It is the Hayden Hurst Family Foundation. You can, it's at Hayden Hurst Foundation on Instagram. And you can also go to HaydenHurstFoundation.com to get some more information about uh, what it is they're doing and how you can help out, uh, support and get involved with them as well. So.